right, everybody, welcome into the final installment of Neyland's Basement. Uh, it's kind of bittersweet. Last time you're going to see us for about seven months, but uh, we made it through the season. Uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, it's always a bummer when college football comes to an end. In my opinion, it is the greatest sport. There's nothing like it in the U.S., especially because it's one of the only sports where you can truly be bound into a community and really be a part of it a lot more than any of the other professional sports leagues. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It, it, it truly is something special, and it feels like there's always so much buildup for it, and then it happens, and then there's all this buildup for the bowl games, and the games happen, and then it's all over. So uh, there's always so much buildup, and then it happens, and then it's done. Uh, but so that's just the way that goes, and uh, I, I can't wait for next season. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, this season was a lot of fun. A lot of teams did well that we're not used to seeing doing well. And then the semifinals of the college football playoff were great, the greatest ever. Mm-hmm. And then the college football playoff said, you know what, I'm going to do what the college football <laughs> playoff does best and give us a blowout. Yes. Uh, that's what we saw on Monday night. Georgia beat TCU 65-7, to the widest margin of victory in national championship history. I mean, we can go all the way back to 1998 here with the first BCS national championship. The closest thing you're going to find is in 2004, I believe USC won by 34 in theirs. That's still not even remotely close. And I mean, individual performances aside here, I mean, this, this was just a blowout. It was a curb stomping. It was terrible. Yeah, had to have been one of the worst postseason games ever, just period, in any kind of sport. Uh, I mean, you saw that first Georgia touchdown, there's just a general feeling, oh man, this one's over. It's not going anywhere. But yeah, I mean, it, it feels like this year flipped on its head a lot because usually the college football playoff semifinals are terrible. They're the worst games out there. And then all the other bowl games, they're not that great, but the Rose Bowl is typically amazing. This year, complete opposite. It's It's been a wild year for college football, and this really kind of sealed the deal with that one. Yeah, I think, I think what annoys me most, and I knew this was going to happen if Georgia won comfortably. Now, of course, this was way more comfortably than anybody, even Georgia fans predicted, uh, but... Uh, I knew this was going to happen, but lots of casuals tune into the championship game and don't watch much of the other because it's almost like not really, but it's almost because obviously it's like the college football version of the Super Bowl. Um, So you get way more people tuning into this game who haven't watched college football all season just because, oh, it's the championship game. I might check this out. Oh, TCU. I've never heard of them before. They might be interesting. And they see this game and they and you just see all these casuals going around saying, yeah, the SEC is unstoppable. Why do they even let these other teams even play play these games? You know, they shouldn't even be allowed to, you know, compete in these things. That's what annoys me most is I think I, I see all these casuals say um, a lot of really uh, hot takes when they've barely seen any uh, college football all season. Uh, you know, all, all I got to say about this game is uh, that was just not TCU's best game. I think if you took this matchup. Really? And you, you re- don't think that was TCU's best game? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I know it's like no dub, but like really, I think if you took this matchup and you replayed it like 10 times, uh, Georgia probably would win nine out of the 10 times. And maybe in like one of those scenarios dr strange comes out and tells them okay there's one scenario out of a thousand where thanos does not win and that's the one where tcu wins um but but it wouldn't be like this bad it would be closer to what the spread actually was 14 to you know 14 points maybe 21 points uh i just think tcu came in with a horrible game plan sonny dykes admitted it that the coaches just they just did not prepare their players well, they ran out of gas. Um, they they just were not – they just did not come in with a very good game plan. When they ran the ball, I felt like when TCU ran the football, of course, they had no Kendra Miller, but the offensive line played well at the beginning. When they ran the ball, they opened up all these big holes, and it seemed like that was getting some consistency. And then they just quickly got away from the run and tried to you know pass the lot. And Duggan was a little bit off, uh, of course, too. But – 
I think they should have committed more to the ground game early and tried to have more long, uh, long drawn out drives, which is not what they're used to. But I think that would have worked better. Uh, instead, the offense just kept going off the field too quickly and the defense just completely fell apart and then completely gave up uh, on the game. So and then, of course, Kirby Smart, you know, we kept saying, you know, leave no doubt. Well, to me, he lay, he left no doubt that he is, um, you know, kind of a jerk. Honestly, I mean, it, I mean, I I think uh, yes, he put the backups in in the fourth quarter, uh, so you could make the case. Well, he wasn't really trying to run up the score, but he was going for it on fourth down. He was blitzing Duggan heavily when they were up by like almost fifty points. And the only case, the only defense you can make is, yeah, it's a national championship game, so hey, you should bring your best, but. At that point, it's like, okay, you were just out there just to try to embarrass this team when they had clearly lost all hope and and everything. So I hope somebody goes in and just embarrasses Georgia next season. I really don't even care who it is, uh, but I just hope, hopefully, hopefully us. But even if it's Alabama, I can't believe I'm saying that, but I just hope somebody uh, puts Kirby Smart in his place next year. I I think uh, Nick Saban was given some bullets and board material by David Pollock at halftime. I think we all saw that clip just going viral, and you know Nick Saban's just there at the desk, just like, okay, all right, I hear what you're saying. I'll make some adjustments as Saban does, but yeah, I mean this (laughs) this was an atrocity in every sense of the word. I mean, everybody we we have like I've, I've been saying, we had this great season up to this point. And then we just get this for a national championship game, which is just a complete joke. <clears throat> I mean, they're, Stetson Bennett, great game for him. I mean, four touchdowns, two on the ground, good day for him. And then Brock Bowers, of course, did what Brock Bowers does best, which is terrorize defenses with mitch, mismatches. So, I mean, there's, there's just no other way to put it. This was the worst game by far in the postseason. And I think it's probably the worst one we've talked about on the show in terms of margin of victory because Tennessee only beat Akron 63 to six. That's one point less than what we're talking about here. So, and this is, this is the national championship game we're talking about. So that's, this is this, I I don't want to talk too much more about this just because of how awful it was for the sport. And Devin, like you're saying, casuals are going to get turned off and, to no one's surprise, this was one of the least viewed national championship games in quite some time. For this very reason, they're going to get turned off for it because it's when you see a blowout like this, you don't want to sit through it. That's that's just their reasoning, and you can't really stop them. So yeah, I mean, there's a reason why, and I and me personally, I felt like the it, just the last point I'll say about this, I felt like the announcing, but again, a lot of this could have been because Georgia was just way ahead, and they probably realized the only people still watching the game were probably Georgia fans, but. I watched it for a while later, and I did kind of feel like the, uh, you know, the coverage and the announcing was a little bit biased towards Georgia. But again, they were winning by so 65 much. Sixty-five so to seven is going to do that yeah. to you. Yeah, I mean, how can how can you really argue against a team when they're putting on that much of a yeah. show? But I think I, this yeah. really prompts the discussion of, you know, I kind of want to get your guys' take on. Uh, should we expand the playoff? Obviously, we're doing it, but this yeah. is a case where it feels I, like we should, but also it gives the same argument for it, going back to the BCS. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because you now, you know, potentially we're going to see four teams in a semifinal from the SEC. Perhaps, I, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that it will happen all the time, but, you know, if, if this is Frequently. what we're seeing, then... It could. You never know. Mm-hmm. And another thing I got to say about this game too: Why are all these Georgia players saying we're gonna we we were told we were gonna go six and six or five <laughs> and seven? Nobody told you that. I, well, actually, yeah, I like... guarantee you, someone did tell them that. I told them, or not me. What am I? What am I saying? Uh, Kirby probably <laughs> told them that yeah. just yeah. to get Kirby's them motivated to do it again. Manipulation going on he, behind. I the mean, scenes. I, I yeah. think. I think he just lies to his players consistently to motivate them, and that's why they're so good. I mean, like, obviously probably. we saw going into that Tennessee game, he was like, eh, we're probably not going to stop them. All we're going to have to do is just try and keep them in front of us, just be as vague as possible, sound scared, and then go out and do that. So yeah. I think I think he's a master, a master at lying to motivate people, which, it, it, as weird as that sounds, it's working. 
So yeah. he learned it from yeah. Saban. Saban he was did. the great manipulator to his players, and, and he, <laughs> he got was. them always motivated uh, to play, even when they were ranked number one. And it's like, oh well, obviously you're going to win. It's like, oh no, 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 no. Ball State is incredible. Oh, we have to, we have to stop them. I mean, I don't know or something. We've overcome so, so much adversity. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. <laughs> You were it's you were like, right yeah. here last season. It's yeah, it's crazy. But the you know, only like thing I they said, can say is yeah, the only thing they could say is well, we were ranked number three to start the year when we should have been ranked number one. No. Okay, maybe, but yeah, it's yeah, like sure. okay, yeah. You were still like, in the college football playoff to begin with. Yeah. To me, the silver lining though of Georgia winning is that clear SEC dominance because it, yep. when you don't live in SEC country. People are pretty stupid, and they will try and argue with you and say that, oh, the SEC is not the best conference, when it's been clear for so long that it is. And it's okay Mm -hmm. if people hate the SEC. I'm totally fine if they do. But they have to at least admit admit to the fact that they hate it because it's so good. Like, I I hated the Patriots forever, but I hated them because they were good. And I acknowledge the fact (laughs) that they were good. That's (laughs) a lot of people. Yeah, you you just have have to give credit where credit's due. And the SEC has been the best conference. Especially at the top, because because I could see the argument. Because if you look at the bowl games, the middle of the pack, of the SEC was not that good. But in the here's the games. thing like, about Kentucky that. got embarrassed. Here's the thing: um, those teams aren't motivated to play because they're six and six, and a coach is on the way out, or yeah. they've got guys hitting the portal. That's what's mm-hmm. happening yeah. there. There's so yeah. much talent. I mean, on but, those that, teams but that happened too. to those other teams too. But yeah. those, that happened to the teams they were playing against as well, typically. Yeah. Uh, but. But yeah, but the top of the conference this year, Tennessee, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, just dominated all of their games. Yep. So when you they get did. to the top, that's what makes the SEC king is when you get to the top of it. The middle, yeah, other conferences can hang with the middle, but the top is a whole different story. Yeah, so that's that's going to be our discussion on uh, the college football playoff championship like i said didn't want to dwell on this for very long i've probably talked about this more than i wanted to already because it was such a bad game uh so let's just move on to some stuff for next year now let's check out some 2023 schedules of some teams that we have some interest in first since it's neyland's basement we'll discuss tennessee uh non-conference games here we got virginia in nissan stadium here in nashville austin p and then to end September, at least in non-conference in September, UTSA, that's in uh, Neyland Stadium as well. And then to begin November, UConn in Neyland Stadium. This is not a cupcakey schedule as much as some people think. Um, you know, I mean, obviously UConn's been down a little bit, but they've gotten better. Uh, there, there are some games that I, I wouldn't call them losable, but they're more challenging than what we saw this year, obviously with teams like Ball State and Akron coming to Neyland Stadium. Yeah, I mean, this schedule is not its not too bad. I'd say it's fairly favorable, but the interesting thing to me about Tennessee's schedule is always how we rotate those big rivals, where this year we got Kentucky at home, we got Florida yeah. at home, we got Bama at home, and then it flips next season and we only get Georgia at home. So that does make it a lot harder. So this is always going to be our tougher year on the schedule. But I do think it's fairly favorable with how the other teams that look challenging have been playing. I also actually think the A&M game in Neyland is going to be a lot of fun. I do too. I think, I think there will be a lot of energy there. And then I think I think we do have a good shot at knocking off Georgia, but I really, I'm marking that South Carolina game too because the energy mm-hmm. in the yeah. stadium is going to be hateful yes. and it will be it a will. lot of fun. Yes, that South Carolina, Texas A&M, those are going to be – incredible games i'm not going to miss those uh same with georgia of course that's going to be like the alabama equivalent of this past season um i will say utsa that is an interesting out of conference game because originally we thought initially that's going to be much easier but now that we know that frank harris has been granted a seventh year you know be their quarterback he's going to be able to come back again and their head coach is coming back again uh, when we assumed that both of them would be gone, that makes UTSA a borderline top 25 team, maybe the best group of five team there is. Of course, UConn, as you mentioned, Tucker, went six and yeah. six. They're better uh, than they have been, but they're just still not where they want to be. No, but Jim Mora, 
clearly is, is if, if anybody can get UConn to a bowl game, that coach clearly is, is something special. So maybe UConn, you know, has a decent squad, but I tell you, and I know we're about to get into Georgia's schedule, but I think Tennessee's schedule is much harder than, than Georgia's, especially non-conference. Yeah. Um, and, you know, looking at these conference games too, um, I, you know, the road outside of Alabama, I wouldn't be too scared if I were Tennessee on the road. I mean, Kentucky, mm-hmm. yeah, they might be getting Devin Leary and Liam Cohen, but we've, we've been down that road before. I mean, 83 and 26 all time. I mean, we've, we've been there. We've done that. We've seen the Kentucky teams get hot and ultimately get shut down by Tennessee. So we'll see if it happens. I mean, I, I kind of doubt that anything crazy will happen there. And, you know, right now the Swamp is not a super intimidating place either mm-hmm. because, I mean, this year for Billy Napier was not good. Obviously, they've had worse seasons than six and seven in their last, like, ten-year history. But, I mean, I, I did some digging into this. Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky have all not beaten Florida in the same season since 1955. Wow. That's a long time to not do that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the recruiting does not look great either. I mean, right now, right now, your quarterback going into next season is Graham Mertz, and I mean, just objectively, was not great at Wisconsin. Um, you know, I mean, really was in a system where he just had to hand the ball off. I believe last season too, he had more interceptions than he did touchdowns, or somewhere in that neighborhood. So, uh, you know, that one. That one I, I don't fear as much as I n- normally would with Tennessee going into the swamp. And then, of course, we're talking about home games here. Uh, South Carolina, like you guys said, it's going to be hateful energy. It absolutely will be. Um, uh, you know, Vanderbilt at home I don't think is challenging. A&M at home, I, think, I don't think they're going to get any better. It, it doesn't look any better for Texas A&M going into next year than it did this year. Uh, obviously Georgia is going to be a tough game, but I mean, if, if Tennessee doesn't beat Georgia next year, who's going to do it? I mean, looking at their schedule, it's Georgia has a great chance to repeat both the SEC ch- championship. I mean, a national championship, they could repeat that easily with the schedule that they got because I mean, their, their toughest non-conference opponent next year is going to be Georgia tech on the road. And yeah, Georgia tech finished yeah. the year. All right. This year, they didn't get to a bowl game. And it's Georgia Tech. They don't have the resources Georgia does. And, you know, Georgia's one of those teams in the SEC East, like, you know, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Florida that can all get away with playing these rivals for non-conference games that are at times not as strong as they are. I mean, you know, obviously that's changed a little bit with Clemson getting better and Florida State getting better. But, you know, Georgia Tech's been down for a while, and I don't really see that one um, getting getting any com- more competitive than it was. And then the other three games, they got non-conference, UT Martin, Ball State, UAB. Don't see a whole lot of challenges there. So, I mean, unless unless Auburn is better next year, I don't really see a way Georgia loses to anybody except Tennessee if Tennessee is good enough to beat them. Yeah, I could, I could only see uh, hope. Like, the only other thing I could see is uh, Alabama or LSU winning the SEC West and, taking Georgia down in the SEC championship. Yeah, there's just such a clear path for Georgia to get back in. It's always tough for Tennessee because no matter what we do, we are always going to have to play Alabama and Georgia. So our road is always a lot tougher, but I really do think we have a solid shot at knocking Georgia off next year, especially in Neyland Stadium. That's a huge help. And it comes at a good time, too, because now Kentucky is a lot weaker than they have been. Uh, Florida is weaker than they have been in a very long time. We, we're set up pretty nicely to take a stab at the SEC title. And I think, you know, I think next year we can do it. Yeah, I think uh, you, you really got to take advantage of it while it's there for you. And I, I think, obviously, you know, these losses are going to hurt on the offensive end for Tennessee, but – Based on what we saw in the Orange Bowl, I think you can you can only be confident going forward with this team. So uh, that's what I wanted to get into there with those schedules. I mean, do we think anybody else really has a great shot at taking the SEC title next year? I mean, obviously Alabama is always going to be in that conversation. Um, I mean, let me let me take a look at their schedule real quick. I mean, I really love the way LSU finished their season. And I believe Jaden Daniels is coming back at he quarterback. Is. So he that is. makes 
So with the Fed, so obviously LSU and South Carolina, because yeah. South Carolina is getting yeah. Spencer Rattler back as well. Those two teams will have a massive advantage getting their quarterback back because all the other yeah. teams, including us, of course, we're all, we'll all make different starting quarterback uh, changes. Yep. And, uh, you know, just looking at this LSU schedule, they do have to go to Alabama, which is going to make things a little bit trickier for them to do it this time around. Uh, and then they got to play Florida State as well once again. And that Florida State team looks to be in a very good spot. We'll see if they can sustain it. Obviously, Jordan Travis is going to be coming back next year. But um, right now I'm really liking where that team is headed. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other non-conference games for LSU right now, they do play Army in the middle of October. And the triple option does strange things to people. We'll see what happens there. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, I, I think LSU will find a way to win that game, but Ar- Army could be a tricky one. That's just all I'm going to say about Army because you you just don't know with them. Uh, and then the rest of the way, I mean, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Mizzou is who they get on the road, and I, I don't think any of those teams are really going to mess with them all too much. So I think LSU does have a decent shot if they can get it done in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all it all hinges upon that. But what what would you say your guys' schedule predictions are for Tennessee? What do you see our final record ending up as? I think ten and two is realistic once again. Um, you know, Georgia Alabama is a are the two that I would look at and say those could be losses. Um, you know, I Kentucky and South Carolina are just two completely different teams as far as their ability to knock off Tennessee. I mean. Obviously, Tennessee's got a way better record all time against those two teams, but more recently, South Carolina's done a lot better. I mean, you know, Kentucky's only beaten Tennessee three times in like the last 40 years, so it it would be awfully hard for them to do it up there in Lexington, I feel like. And, you know, like I was saying, the rest of the road schedule doesn't look all too demanding. And, yeah, I mean, Texas A&M is – well, no, not Mizzou. Um, Vanderbilt are the other two that are coming to town other than South Carolina and Georgia. And while I think Vanderbilt's getting better, I don't see them winning in Neyland. I just don't. So I think 10-2 and two is another reasonable expectation. Yeah, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I was going to say either 9-3 and three or 10-2. and two. And uh, although I was – you know, lower on the balls heading into this season. I was thinking only, you know, uh, seven and five or eight and four heading into this season and then boom, you know, so I do tend to go a little bit lower, uh, lower my expectations a little bit uh, just because this conference is so tough as we all know, but uh, so I'm going to say nine and three, but that would still be a, a great, great season. And, and that would still be a good build up. Like I think as long as Tennessee get somewhere in that range that shows that they're maintaining success and you got to keep having these good seasons before you have a breakout uh, national championship season, which I think is entirely possible now. Yeah. I also could realistically see us winning every single game on the schedule because Georgia mm-hmm. is coming to Newland. And then with the Bama game, we have historically performed better. Both teams in this rivalry have historically performed better away from home, which yeah. is a very interesting angle it, it on is. the whole third Saturday in October. So it, this very well could be a favorable schedule for us that we can end up making working. However, I don't think that it's the most likely outcome, but I think we have a very, very solid chance to do it. Yeah, I, I would give Tennessee decent odds. I mean, you know, they, they still got some bulletin board material because Alabama was ranked ahead of them to end this season. And, you know, that that is obviously not going to sit well with Tennessee. They'll want to go in there and prove that they should be should have been ahead of Alabama. And, you know, maybe they carry that into that game. But overall, I don't love the look of that game at the moment. We're just going to have to see who the quarterback is. I mean, right now it feels like it's probably going to be Ty Simpson, but – um, we haven't seen a whole lot of him just yet. We'll see what happens there with their quarterback situation. I'm sure Alabama will be just fine because, you know, they're Alabama. They're going to find a way to reload. So, um, I mean, any, anything else you guys want to talk about with schedules? I don't really have a whole lot else to talk about. I, I don't really think so. Um, is next year the year that the playoff expands, though? Or no, it's, still it's out? we got one more year after. Yeah. Okay. It's when so Oklahoma and Texas come in. Okay, so it's still yeah. going to be pretty interesting to see who actually is able to make it because yeah. once the playoff expands, it's, it's wide open, and you know yeah. I think right now I, I think I the think, SEC will dominate. 
Yeah, right now I, I think what we're going to see next year is you obviously get at least one uh, SEC te- team in, be it Georgia mm-hmm. or Alabama, or even both. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, and or then, us. yeah, maybe. Or Who us. knows? Um, somebody out of the Big Ten East, probably not Penn State. It's probably one of the other two teams because obviously Michigan's got Blake Corum coming back, and Ohio State's mm-hmm. just Ohio State. They're a juggernaut year in and year out. And, uh, you know, as far as the rest of the country is concerned, I mean, maybe Clemson or Florida State out of the ACC. Those are the two teams I think have the best shot. But, you know, it's the ACC. They've been down for a little bit. Will they do it? I don't know. And then TCU. uh, Yeah, yeah. I was going to say maybe USC or Oregon out of the Pac-12 or Washington. Possibly. uh, The Huskies. But we all yeah. we all know the nature of the Pac-12, though. That's the issue: yeah. is that they all like to beat each other, and that's what's harmful, unfortunately. Yes, so, he has a great opportunity to get two teams in though next year because Alabama just had their off year this year. If they can perform like they typically do, they get that brand name bias too. So they're yeah. always in. Yeah, even that if always they lose helps an them. SEC chip. Yep. Yeah, uh, Notre Dame. They could make a ride there with the way we'll Marcus Freeman's got that what? team trending. Yeah, actually, let me take a look at their schedule real quick because that's a team that is always uh, interesting to watch. They play Clemson next season. Yeah, that'll be uh, at Clemson, so we'll see how that goes. Um, Let's see. Losable games. They got Ohio State in South Bend. Maybe mm -hmm. there's a shot there if they can beat Clemson at home last year. Uh, USC, of course, is always on the schedule for them. That could be demanding. Uh, And then at Clemson. That's a tough one. And then they got a couple other games on the schedule that are to be determined as well. But they, they've got to play at Duke, at Louisville, at NC State. And those are all respectable ACC teams. Yeah. I mean, they're not they're not your Clemson or Florida State right now, but they're they're all pretty respectable teams from what I can see. So yeah, um, I, it, it I would be like a tough it. yeah, it, it'd be a tough stretch, I think, for Marcus Freeman to get them to the playoff next year, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they if they can win two out of those three big ones you mentioned, Ohio State, Clemson, and USC, uh, then and they win the rest of their games and go eleven and one, I can see them getting in one of the four yeah. playoff spots. Yeah, and then I think another big question a lot of people have is: Can TCU sustain the success that they had? And I just don't. I think know. so. I, Maybe I, I really think because one thing you know, one thing that's not being talked about a huge amount as they got because uh, of course going up against Georgia, the talent discrepancy was yeah. obviously there. The, the lack of four and five star players was clearly there, but they're getting huge transfers from Alabama, getting That's Tommy true. Brockenmeyer. There's um, a lot was, of people coming over from Alabama. Exactly. And so the way I look at it, TCU winning a playoff game, because no matter what was going to happen now, it obviously was embarrassing in the championship, but Upsetting Michigan, I think, is is going to cause this TCU team yeah. to be able to – if they had lost to Michigan, then, yeah, I, I don't think they could sustain the success. But beating Michigan and getting the brand recognition and getting all the way to the championship is going to help them get all these big-time transfers, Brock and Meyer, JoJo Earl, uh, and, and I think they're going to be able to maintain – maybe not have quite this season again, but I think they can maintain – a good level of success, at least before uh, the playoff expands. Yeah, and I think another thing with them in the Big 12 right now is that the the powers that be in the Big 12 are down from what they have been. Oklahoma mm-hmm. and Texas, they're not in a great spot right now. Obviously, Oklahoma had its worst season since 98. Oklahoma State, there is a mass exodus going on in Stillwater. It's not good. Uh, yeah. And then Texas, Texas of those teams is probably in the best position right now, but they still went what nine and four, or eight and five this year? Yeah, they went eight and five mm-hmm. this year. So, with all those teams down, and then all your other, you know, kind of mid tier, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll get to a bowl game type Big Twelve teams, kind of in the middle of the pack. Once again, there's not really like a Baylor that's doing well. I mean, Kansas State's yeah. Kansas State. They, they the, the 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 ceiling is only so high at Kansas State. So. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I, and Texas Tech, same way. They had a really good yeah. season, though. But uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they can do going yeah. forward. They, of course, crushed Ole Miss uh, in the bowl yeah. game. There's just not there's just not a lot of high ceilings out there in the Big Twelve and at some of these schools. I mean, particularly the Kansas schools, Iowa State, Texas Tech's another one. 
Uh, and you know, may, maybe Baylor has another one of those weird seasons in them where they get good. Who knows? Because they kind of they kind of come and go. They they're either like six mm-hmm. and six, or they're miserable, or they're like eleven and Double one. Double win, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't figure out Baylor. They're really weird. Um, yeah, the Big Twelve is going to be very interesting to watch next year, especially with Texas and Oklahoma on the exit from the conference. I mean, Oklahoma just. I don't know what to make of them quite yet still. I know they were really bad this season, but I don't think it's too far-fetched to see them doing quite well again next season. Yeah. They're always a team that can be right back in the mix just with the talent level that exists over there. But as far as Texas goes, the Texas teams have gotten pretty out of control, and they're all kind of on the same level of being eight and four, six and six teams. So it's really bizarre to watch what happens down there and how they just end up beating each other all the time. So I, I think TCU has a lot of competition that's on its level. And this year they just found a way to win against all of them. But next season, I don't think it's going to be as kind to them. I think they're still going to be a great team and a respectful team. Sonny Dykes is a great coach, but I don't see them repeating this same success probably ever. Yeah. I, th- I think it would be awfully hard for them to do that. Uh, Devin, you were mentioning something about the transfer portal with TCU. That's actually what we're going to talk about here next. Uh, obviously, one can only just glance at the transfer portal because there's just so much going on in there. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try and tell you what we know about the transfer portal. Let's just put it that way. Um, first of all, let's talk a little bit about Tennessee. They had some pretty big signings recently from the portal uh, on, what was that, Monday. They got three. Um, Dante Thornton from Oregon. That was the first big one. He's a receiver, 6'5 receiver. Can be used in the slot, which is in- interesting. So they got him. They got a defensive lineman by the name of Omar Norman Lott. He is from Arizona State. Played a pretty good amount in 2021. Not as involved last year, or this season, rather. Uh, and then John Campbell the third committed from Miami over Florida and Florida State. So those were the three big ones they got from the portal on Monday. What are you guys? What are you guys thinking about these guys? I am very high on uh, Dante Thornton. I think he's a great fit, especially with Joe Milton. I think there's going to be a lot of magic happen there. I mean, six five has a lot of speed, has a lot of good moves in his. Uh, uh, blanking on the word. He's got a lot of good moves in his deck, I guess, but that guy can play ball. I think that just the size advantage, the speed combined with Joe Milton being able to throw bombs, it's it's going to be a real exciting sight to see in Knoxville. I think there's going to be fireworks all over Neyland all the time with that kid there. Yeah, Dante Thornton's really exciting. Just imagine, like, you're on defense. You're the defensive coordinator. And you got to try to figure out a corner that can match with Brew McCoy and another corner that can match with Dante Thornton. You have to have size on the outside. Most teams don't have that much to cover two guys like that. So um, that's just going to be really exciting to see those sets. Of course, the the receiving core is going to be just fine. Um, And the only thing that concerns me about Tennessee is, you know, how they're going to, uh, make the replacements at offensive line. But uh, at the end of the day, I think overall the offense is, is still going to be just fine. It, it, they're going to be just great. Yeah, and, and they got a guy for the offensive line as well and John Campbell the third, So that helps out a lot as well. And I, I, I like what you guys are thinking, saying about Dante Thornton. I think he is a guy that can really contribute to this offense. I mean, obviously you've got three guys that are coming back that uh, were really good last season. And now you bring in this guy. There was always kind of talk that Tennessee was going to bring in a guy from the portal. And they did just that. I mean, it's, it's a popular landing destination with uh, Kelsey Pope. And, you know, you, you got guys, you got good quarterbacks that are throwing to you. And it's a fun system to be a part of. So I think it's going to be really popular for years to come. I'm really liking the Omar, the Omar Norman Lotts uh, transfer that uh, Tennessee got, you know, he, he's a defensive lineman and we needed, we needed a guy to fill in for Latrell Bumpfus now that uh, he's going to be on his way out. He's, he's just out of eligibility now. I don't know if he's actually going to the draft or not, but it's a, uh, it's, it's a good landing and they needed another guy to play up front there next to Amari Thomas. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that 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 is huge. I think Omari Thomas could have a massive, massive year because this this signing probably, uh, at least at least in theory, uh, will will hopefully cause uh, teams to not have to double team Thomas and and have to cover one guy on each guy. That'll help Thomas go one on one and just become a game record. Yeah, and we all know that Tennessee needed defense to get through to next season and break on through into the top of the top, the cream of the crop. And that's a very, very helpful transfer in getting that done. However, I am still a little bit concerned about the secondary. I don't know what we're doing exactly to bump that up. Uh, but obviously, we also, in the portal, uh, I believe Jawan Mitchell just entered yeah, his name. That, which that was one that I forgot to one. mention, but we, we do need to mention it. Uh, Jawan Mitchell did hit the portal on Monday from for Tennessee, and this is the second time he's hit the portal now. He originally transferred to Tennessee from Texas, and I, I think injuries injuries did pretty much limit him to not playing all of 2021. Uh, this season he was a bit more of a factor. Obviously he had one of those picks in the Kentucky game, and I believe he finished the season in the neighborhood of 40-something tackles. So he was fairly involved. And I think part of this has to do with the fact that Tennessee got another guy in Keenan Pilly from BYU. I believe that was about a week ago now. So I think that that guy adding some depth to the linebacker position as well as some recruits coming in might have scared Jawan Mitchell off a bit. Maybe he would be used in a bit more of a limited role next season. So I, I think that's why he left. I mean, that's that's just my best guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. I think Jawan definitely thought he was not going to be able to play, and that's why he's in the portal right now. And, you know, we never know what exactly goes on behind the scenes. So maybe yeah. Josh Heupel let him know early on. He's like, hey, this guy, he's really good. He's going to be playing over you. If you want out here, you should do so. Yep, so that's what we know right now for Tennessee. Uh, Some other big names in the portal that have committed already. Uh, Spencer Sanders pretty recently committed to Auburn. Obviously, he left Oklahoma State. Part of that just gigantic exodus going on there. So they landed him. Uh, Of course, Devin Leary, as we've mentioned before, is headed to Kentucky. Graham Mertz headed to Florida from Wisconsin. So those are the big quarterback signings that I'm aware of in the SEC. I don't know of any others at the moment. So, um, you know, Sanders is an interesting one, uh, part of that Hugh Freeze offense now. And, you know, Freeze – or not Freeze, Sanders had a little bit of an interception problem this year. And maybe Hugh Freeze can help him out there a little bit. I don't know. I mean, when when he was at Ole Miss, Bo Wallace had the same interception problem. So we're going to see if it happens. But – to me, I, I think Spencer Sanders is anything is better than anything that Auburn has got right now. Yeah, I feel like that's a definite step in the right direction for Auburn. It's a huge morale booster alongside the fact that he is a pretty decent quarterback. I think that landing a big name in the portal is definitely helping to make sure that Auburn brand doesn't get completely destroyed by just the past couple of seasons because it really has been a school that's been very – very down in the SEC, which has been rather uncharacteristic for where they've been in the past, winning a national championship rather recently, too. Uh, and just seeing the fall from grace has been pretty wild, especially sad, too, because of how rabid that fan base is. But, you know, Auburn, they got a huge problem with management of that whole entire school. Yeah, the entire athletic department uh, just needs to weed out um, all the outside noise before they can really start getting something going. But Sanders, I mean, that's breaking news to me. I, I had no idea Spencer Sanders was going to Auburn, uh, but that's a huge get, of course. Great dual threat quarterback. He's certainly had his moments. He was great in the first half of this past season, but then it all just fell apart for Oklahoma State. And I think Sanders, he's one of those guys, and Sam Hartman – course going to Notre Dame um, now Hartman kind of has a similar problem where you know if he makes a couple of mistakes early on fumbles the ball maybe throws an interception it just all completely falls apart so somehow Spencer Sanders needs to get in the right headspace of 
if he makes a mistake, just move on from it. And now he's going up against SEC defenses, which are going to be uh, ruthless. <laughs> We've seen him. Mean, he's going to have to play against Georgia. Uh, he's going to have to play against Alabama, LSU. That's going to be ruthless. Even Mississippi State might be getting better on defense. So it's it's going to be tough for him, certainly. He's going to have to figure out a way to get out of the that get into that headspace because it's likely that he's going to make a couple of mistakes in a game, and that's okay. He just can't make, like, five. All right. I'm going to dive into a few more big names here in the portal. This one was just announced, like, a matter of minutes ago. Jordan Birch, the defensive end from South Carolina, has officially committed to Oregon. Uh, easy to see why. Dan Lanning is a great defensive mind, uh, obviously hired away from Georgia after they won the national championship last season. Who wouldn't want to be in that system? Uh, but South Carolina is a team that's confusing me a little bit because a lot of their success that they had this year came from guys that they got through the portal. However, there also seems to be a lot of guys leaving, like big-name players leaving from South Carolina in the portal. So I don't I don't really know what's going on there. But still, either way, big, big pickup there for Oregon. Mm-hmm. All the names leaving from South Carolina strikes me as odd, too, because they had a rather successful season for what a team like South Carolina is capable of. I don't know what the people who transferred there were thinking in terms of if they really thought that was a school that they could compete at, but it does not make a lot of sense that they're leaving. And Tennessee fans, you know, we like to theorize that it's, in fact, the Beamer ball that's keeping them away because no one no one in Tennessee likes that guy, and it's easy to see why, and maybe the players aren't liking him either. Yeah, there's definitely some kind of weird culture issue going on behind the scenes because you guys are right, South Carolina. I mean, I expected them to go 6-6 six and six this past season, and they had two huge upsets, of course, and went 8-4 and four, and then, you know, and then barely lost to a really good Notre Dame team in, in the bowl game. So, I mean, they had a really great season from where they were, so it doesn't make any sense. So there's got to be something behind the scenes because something always explains why this is happening, regardless of whether we know it or not. But there's something going on. Yeah, uh, a couple more from South Carolina, actually. Jaheim Bell, their tight end, is headed to Florida State, which is a massive pickup for the Seminoles. Mm-hmm. And then here's another one that is is something I've never seen before but it's happening and I don't understand why it's happening. Austin Stogner backup tight end for South Carolina is headed to Oklahoma. You know where he transferred in from, from South Carolina, Oklahoma. (laughs) Why? I I don't understand it. Now we got guys going to and from schools in stints. This is officially just free agency now is what this is. It really is. And that was one of the other interesting things I kind of wanted to talk about too, about how Jalen Wright, uh, put his name in the transfer portal and then came back after we gave him this big NIL deal. So I'm starting to wonder if players are just like, okay, I'll put my name in the transfer portal and whoever comes to me and says, yeah. I'll give you this but, amount of money. But but the weird thing it. is Jalen Wright never left Tennessee. Yeah. Stogner was at Oklahoma, transferred to South Carolina, played there for a season, is now headed back to Oklahoma. Yeah. I don't I don't understand. You know, maybe, maybe he just wanted maybe. a vacation. Possibly. I don't know. A year-long vacation with Beamer Ball, sure. I mean, maybe uh, maybe we're thinking about it wrong. Like, maybe it's not Shane Beamer that's driving these guys away. Maybe it is Spencer Rattler. I mean, a quarterback <laughs> as a leader of a team makes a huge difference. And initially, Stogner left with Rattler to go to South Carolina together because they were kind of, yeah. kind of buddies. Yeah. So Stogner leaving Rattler when Rattler's coming back for another season – it's kind of weird to yeah. leave your uh, friend hanging there. There must have been some kind of fallout. Uh, and and Rattler's been known in the past, uh, but that was, of course, a long time ago before he became a college player. But there's some old videos of Rattler not really being the best teammate. If You can find it from high school and, and stuff like that. So maybe some of that attitude problem is carried over uh, to college. Yeah, I'd like to see the message boards right now. Just the Oklahoma and South Carolina message boards. Yeah, I I don't totally understand this. Um, I don't think anyone ever will. Um, But a a couple more key transfers that I would like to discuss here. Um, Some quarterbacks. 
Cade McNamara, obviously beat out by J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, is headed over to Iowa. Those guys desperately needed a quarterback. And then the other one I wanted to mention, Clemson quarterback D.J. Uyongle, beat out by Cade Klubnick in the ACC championship, headed over to Oregon State where they are they are in need of a quarterback. So yeah. those are two other big ones I wanted to talk about. What do you guys think about those? I think D.J. Uyongle could be really fun at Oregon State. Just because the Pac-12, it's it's a lot different in terms of just the bright lights. I feel Clemson is one of those school where schools where you're under constant scrutiny. Then you transfer to a place like Oregon State, you got a lot more room to play and roam around. And football just is not as important over in the West. I hate yeah. to say it, but a lot of times it is true. And I think that's a perfect place where he can actually begin to thrive and get his pick problem under control and actually learn how to throw the ball. I think it's a great fit for him, especially with uh, Oregon State's head coach being a former quarterback himself. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks benefiting from that. And so I think that's a great pickup for them, and I think it's a great fit for him. And as far as the McNamara one goes, I don't know what kind of meth you're smoking if you're going to Iowa as an offensive player. That <laughs> blows my mind. Yeah, and, and yeah, I just I'll start off with DJU as well. I, I think that is a brilliant move by him to go to Oregon State. Obviously, as Dom just said, and it's not just that like going to a Pac-12 team. Oregon State is obviously like one of the smallest brands in all of group of five. So they're always a little bit under the radar, even if they have a great season and they've only got a few tele like heavily nationally televised games. And that's only when they play Oregon or if they happen to play USC or maybe if they're ranked and Washington is ranked and they play each other. I mean, that's, that's basically it. So if you're going to Oregon state, you're not under as Dom said, you know, under the lights and on national TV all the time, like you would be at Clemson where like half the games are on primetime TV practically. So uh, it's definitely a good fit. It will give him time to clear his head of, of everything that's gone on and just focus on playing good football. And Jonathan Smith is one of the best head coaches in the whole country, in my opinion. And he's completely turned a dead program around into a very – very good program that completely destroyed Florida in the bowl game, of course, and, and made that amazing comeback against Oregon, literally basically without a quarterback. So uh, with a linebacker playing quarterback most of the time, so in Jack Coletto. So uh, if they can do that, just imagine what they could do with a decent quarterback. Uh, I mean, wow. Uh, but now for Cade McNamara, I guess that's an improvement for Iowa. Uh, I mean, it's just going to be I like think a it is. Yeah. Petrus, Petrus had five touchdowns and five interceptions the entire season. So yeah. I'd call I mean, that an improvement. Yeah, he didn't get as many touchdowns as Russell Wilson has bathrooms in his home, which was an important <laughs> stat we were tracking for Russell Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just see McNamara as just being a check down machine. But if, if he's accurate, that would still be better. At least, I mean, Petrus couldn't even throw it 10 yards to the guy on a check down. So uh, that would be an improvement. If Iowa's defense is anywhere near as good as it was this past season, they could potentially be a borderline top 25 team uh, if their offense just makes a little bit of improvement. All right, just a couple more that I wanted to talk about because I feel like we just have to talk about these um, since these guys are on their uh, – well, one of them's on their third school. The other's on his fourth. Uh, the first one I wanted to mention was Keaton Slovis. He is headed to BYU from Pittsburgh. Probably an improvement there, maybe. I mean, I can't tell where Keaton, what Keaton Slovis is doing right now. I mean, obviously Pittsburgh, they didn't, they didn't throw the ball a ton this year. Obviously he got hurt. Uh, but, you know, part of that is, you know, they had great running backs in the backfield. Maybe the system wasn't all too good to him. The other guy, JT Daniels, he is headed to Rice. And I got to be honest, I was kind of bummed about this. I wanted him to go to uh, five schools in five years and make the uh, the, the Power Five pilgrimage of things. So, uh, uh, but no, he's headed to Rice. Probably, probably good for him to go to a school where he can freely be the guy not really have to worry about competition i guess maybe i i feel like he's uh trying to pick up a good degree before he leaves because he knows he's not going pro <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I, I don't know really what to make of the Slovis one either, though, because Pitt, I feel like, is a better school than BYU in terms of competition and being on a national stage. So maybe he's trying to kind of step out of the spotlight a little bit. BYU is consistently good, but it's it's a very strange school in terms of the actual school itself too i mean well yeah it's 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 no joke over there uh, especially with my proximity to it i i know a good couple people who've gone to byu and it's i i will just say it's one of those places that you're just going to be focusing on your football and nothing else <laughs> yeah uh yeah, with Slovis, I mean, well, BYU, I mean, they are one of the teams entering the Big 12 um, soon. And so they are getting a little bit more serious. And I, I will say they have consistently had a pretty good offensive line. So I understand the thinking behind that. He wants some good protection. He's been banged up a lot. So he wants to actually have a season where he's healthy the whole season. Because with Pittsburgh, as we saw when Tennessee played Pittsburgh, Slovis looked pretty good uh, you know, at the beginning. And, and he had a lot of potential this season. And of course he got hurt again. So I think part of it is BYU's got a really good line. Maybe if you think if I play an entire season and make BYU look really good, that'll make my draft stock go way up. So I understand that thinking. Uh, as far as JT Daniels at Rice, I mean, the only thing I know about Rice is that currently their uh, offensive coordinator was famous Washington Huskies quarterback, uh, Marcus Tuiasosopo, um, and and he was a great quarterback for the Huskies, and so maybe that's the thinking behind that. I don't know. Uh, and, he, and he made and Rice had a freshman quarterback that looked pretty solid. So I don't know. Maybe he's thinking, well, if I can make Rice competitive, maybe that'll drive my draft stock way up. If we have like at least an eight or nine win season, which would be unheard of for Rice football. Yeah, Slovis is definitely going to BYU for that protection. I mean, with COVID eligibility and, you know, just the way BYU functions in general, you've got 30-year-olds up there blocking for oh, you. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what he's getting out of that. Live um, full of Stetson Bennett's. Yep. That, well, more than Stetson Bennett. That's Stetson Bennett on steroids is what they got there. <laughs> Pretty um, much. That's, yeah. that's Stetson Bennett's weight times 20, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. That, that plus his age by a lot. So, um, yeah, he's, he's got, got some good protection up there, I guess you could say. But uh, that's all I'm going to go into with the transfer portal. I mean, you can sit here and talk all day long about it. I mean, there's just no end to it. There's really no end to it. And, um, yeah, that's just that's just the nature of college football right now is you get guys hitting the portal all the time, and what can you do? So mm-hmm. we'll end our show and our season with discussing a little bit – of way too early rankings for next year. All right. So as you might expect, Georgia is sitting at number one in ESPN's top 25 for next year. Ohio state sitting at number two, Michigan at three, Florida state at four, which is fascinating. I think there's just a lot of belief in the returnees there. Uh, Bama is at five Penn state at six USC at seven LSU at 8, Oregon at 9, Tennessee at 10. That is your top 10. What do we think about this? There are a lot of teams above us that I would consider a war crime to rank above us. I don't think that LSU, I don't think that Oregon, I don't think that Penn State, there's a lot of teams in front of us that I do not think belong ahead of us as far as it goes because we're – we're not really losing a lot. I know we're losing Hooker, and that's a huge thing. Joe Milton showed a lot of promise, though. And with an entire offseason to go, our team's going to look really good by the time next season shows up. And we might even have a better defense next season because we're going to have a lot more depth. So I think that Tennessee honestly should be getting the benefit of the doubt there. The Florida State one is pretty odd to me, though. I, I can see it. I can definitely see the legitimacy to that. But it's a big if, because I could see them falling right back to where they were prior to this season and just, you know, losing I, three, four games. Well, I don't know if they'll fall back to five and seven Florida State. Well, not, I mean, not that bad. That, but, that team yeah. was losing to Jacksonville State. That's where you're going with saying where they were before. So you don't want to go there. But <laughs> I think I think this team is probably still going to 
be pretty consistent next year, I would have to think. Because, I mean, outside of their road game against Clemson, I don't really see a whole lot on that schedule that they're going to lose. I mean, Florida's down right now. We all know that. So mm-hmm. I think Florida State being in the top ten is valid. Number four, though, I, I do question that a little bit, mm-hmm. especially with Bama in there at five. Yeah, that's, that's, that's jumping the gun pretty heavily because that's assuming that uh, Florida State would beat LSU in a rematch, which of course is going to yeah. be one of the biggest it's, games. It's, of the it's year in Orlando, so it's mm-hmm. it's like how the game was in New Orleans last year. It's a neutral, not so neutral game, I guess you could yeah. call it, because like you know, the, each city is not particularly far away from the campus of whatever school happens to be in that vicinity. So I, I guess if they win, though, they're going to say they're going to Disney World. <laughs> Sure. They were already going to Disney World for their bowl yeah. game this year. They're going to just go again. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of potential with Florida State. I love Mike Norvell as a head coach. He did such a great job with Memphis. And, uh, you know, I pulled for Memphis a lot when he was there. And when he got the Florida State job, I was like, okay, here we go. Now he's getting a big-time program that really needs a jolt. And I'm glad they gave him enough time because at the beginning it was looking kind of mediocre. But this past season, he really showed the true potential he has. Jordan Travis coming back, uh, you know, with with Jaheim Bell coming in, with all that they've got returning as well. I can see them being a top 10 team. I just I agree with you guys. Ranking them over Alabama is just uh not right to me. I think Alabama should be top three, either number three or number four uh, with, with all that they've got coming in still. Uh, they've still got the best coach in the business. They've still got uh, a lot of great coordinators. Um, I, I just don't like Michigan and Florida State being ranked ahead of Alabama. Georgia and Ohio State, sure, but not uh, Michigan and Florida State. Yeah, I, I think a lot of what Michigan has to do with is the fact that McCarthy is there for his junior season. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Corum is coming back as well, which is going to be a yes. tremendous help. But, um, you know, I, Corum I don't, coming back was kind of weird to me. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he was draft eligible or not. I want to say he may have been a, a true sophomore this year. I could be wrong, but, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's just I, I don't really see Michigan being a team that can beat Alabama head to head. It just feels wrong to me. For Especially some reason. with all the guys they're losing on defense once again, <clears throat> and with all the, uh, all the investigations going into Michigan. Yeah, that's another thing we got to keep an eye on. How that goes in Jim Harbaugh, of course, supposedly being linked to the NFL. Now the Panthers are just claiming that wasn't really an interview, but Mm -hmm. a lot of weird stuff going on at Michigan that makes me, and they did not recruit very well. They were in the top 20, but just barely, which for Michigan, um, you know, after going to the playoff back-to-back years and being the massive brand with one of the biggest athletic budgets in the whole country, uh, to me, only just barely being in the top 20 is kind of unacceptable and a little embarrassing. So um, I, I just don't get Michigan in the top three. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and we, it's really odd. We cannot ignore either the fact that Jim Harbaugh, he bought – recruits cheeseburgers this oh, is man. perhaps this is perhaps one of the worst things that a head coach <laughs> wow. has ever done in college football first i think we need the FBI mcdonald's bags and cheeseburgers man <laughs> i think we need the fbi involved in this because wow. clearly this guy cannot control himself he's paying <laughs> these poor kids and manipulating them with billions of dollars in cheeseburgers <laughs> uh, the ncaa always the ncaa always spends all their money and time on the most important of issues yes <laughs> On cheeseburgers, yeah, sure they spend it on that. barbecues with Bruce Pearl. Yeah, that's what they're <laughs> going to be spending their issues on. Yes. Uh, yep. Yeah, just just ignore all the Mercedes cars that the Alabama players have. We got cheeseburgers <laughs> yep. we got to look at. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Nick exactly. Saban owns a Mercedes dealership, and all these players have Mercedes? That's weird. Oh, wait, let's not look into that. <laughs> well, nope, nope. Nick Saban's doing everything the right way. Can't <laughs> yeah. investigate him at all. Not at all. <laughs> He's never done anything wrong in his life except no. to lose. No, yeah. not at all. All right, that is going to do it for us today on Neyland's Basement. It was a great season up until it wasn't a couple nights ago. Uh, but, you know, thanks for hanging in there with us, and we really appreciate everybody out there for listening. For Devin Hoke, for Dominic Throngard, I'm Tucker Harlan. We will see you guys in August. <laughs>